this view has been my view. Now, I've had this view for the last 13 years. It's been a sweet view. And the, the view that the, the, the role of the pastor and the role of the people, this role is such a fascinating one. My friends and I, pastors, talk about just how weird it is to be a pastor, to be in these places with you, to be brought into the most intimate of spaces with you, to be there when all the stuff happens, right? To be in the room, to be in the room where it happens. It's a unique and special privilege to be a pastor, and it's been my privilege to be your pastor and to have this view. Now, the last, since the first Sunday of October, where I really preached my last sermon, I told you that that day. Um, the, my, the intensity by which I view this space has changed. Like, because I want to see your, your face. And at times, my face has been melted off. Staring into the glory of the face of Christ in you, <laughs> as you've shared so many things with me about our time together, I've wanted to stop and just take it, all of it, from you. Because I want to be changed, transformed. The, the, the glory of Jesus beaming through your face to mine. It's been really special and sweet. Yesterday before the party, um, I shared like 1,300 pictures with Brian to, you know, the, night, the night before the party, which is just, things don't change. <laughs> and Brian, like, again, the things don't change. Like the dude, man. Give it to him and give him a song uh, five minutes before the service, and he's like, all right, I'll figure out how to do that. And he put this, this slideshow together, and, you know, it's not a used AI, I don't know. And, um, but just, like, watching all the faces that have come through here. You're here today, in this moment. Some of you not knowing this is what you were going to get today. You're here in this moment, and it's a moment. And it's one moment. Um, there has been hundreds before you who I've sat and looked at from this view and being reminded of all those pictures, of all those faces. It's been special. God made you and I with a face so he could shine upon it. That's the, the essence of the blessing. It's words, but it is God made you and I with a face so he could shine his blessing upon it. And seeing and being seen by God, it's the pinnacle of our experience as humans. Seeing that baby face for the first time, if you're a parent, if you've had the privilege of like, you know, but this, we had babies before 3D uh, ultrasounds. But I remember the longing, this weird longing I had when we had Jed, to meet him. 
to see his face. And when he traumatically came out of the womb, to behold it. God made you with a face so you could behold his glory and be a mirror of that glory in the world. And uh, I started this series with uh, some things from Lewis's Till We All Have Faces. When the queen finally came to the answer that she had demanded from the gods, her old teacher Fox had long taught her that until we truly know what our questions are, what is truly in us, the gods will never answer us. And the queen realized, how can they meet us face to face till we have faces? In other words, the gods will never answer until we come out from behind our mask and veils. When the queen's demand for answers finally brought the god near, her answer came, and she says, I know now, Lord, what you, you, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, the questions die away. Now, hear this this morning. The good news of the gospel is it's not till we all have faces, but that we still have faces upon which God's face shines on ours in Christ. Now, here, we are all like the queen, masked in veils, right? Veils cover what's there. Mask, project what's not there. What are your veils and your mask? This is a super important question as we follow Jesus together. What are the things that you hide because you feel like you have to with a veil? What are the masks that you wear because you're pretending to be something that you're not? Veils hide us from others. Masks create <clears throat> fictional characters we or others wish us to be. And both of those things draw this curtain between us and one another, between us and God, between us and strangers, acquaintances, friends, lovers. We all have veils and masks that we wear. And the good news of the blessing of Aaron and the gospel is that the God of Aaron makes his face shine upon us in Jesus. You have a face, and it's meant to receive the radiant love and light of your Savior, Jesus. The, the veil's been torn from top to bottom, no longer separated from God. The, the curtain's been drawn between us between us here at City Press, between our friends, our neighbors, our families. This is the blessing. No more veils. No more mask. And that's what Paul is articulating to us. If we go back to mask and veils, we lose our humanity, our, our image-bearing nature of what it means to be a human being. God has unmasked his face Hear this, God has unmasked his face in Jesus to shine upon us. His look is the look of love. And the invitation is to uncover, to demask. God has shown his face in the face of Christ, looked upon us, blessed us, and given us his peace. 
So the greatest desire of our hearts as we go forward into the next chapter is to long for God's look. We must look at ourselves as God has looked upon us and look at others in the same way. God has made us with faces so he could shine on ours. God looks on us. So we must look differently at ourselves and others. Now, I want to say that the longing for God's look and taking his shining face and beaming it upon others, and part of this is holding the gaze. How do we hold the gaze? Like my children, they know that they have me when I grab them by the face and I look at them. They have my heart, my attention. I hold it. I hold their face. You do this as a parent all throughout your child's life. You get down on their level and you hold their gaze, grab them. Sometimes I don't have to say anything, right? There's these moments we have with one another where we just look at each other longingly in the face, and that's enough. This chapter that's ending. And I think the implications of God's blessing is that we learn how to hold each other's gaze into the future, into the next chapter, whatever that chapter brings, because we don't know. We sang it today. We sang the words about whatever the path brings. You, we know you'll see us through it, God. Um, Lewis talks about the death of his friend Charles Williams. I've shared this before, and it might be a thing to running total of who, what things I've quoted the most, but Lewis would certainly be up at the top. Lewis says, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Consider that with us, our life together. By myself, Lewis says, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now, I'm not dead. My dad's been saying, dude, you're not dying. (laughs) Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction. This is Ronald is J.R.R. Tolkien. I'll never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. I mean, it's, that's a profound idea of what it means to be a human being and to have friends. What, what Lewis observed about the role that each unique friend plays in bringing things out of us is as my buddy Ryan Bobbin reminds me, is generally true. There are things that only you, all of you, will bring out in me. Ways that Rich brings it out in me. Or Arlen, or Charlie, or Josh, or Brian, or Brian, or Emily, Bronwyn, 
Christina. And likewise, there's things that I will bring out in you that maybe I will only bring out. Now, Lewis's sorrow lies in the reality that without that friend's unique presence, something subtle, cherished, and irreplaceable has been taken away. Now, that's what's difficult in the parting. Now, Lewis ends the quote this way. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man to activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Hear that. True friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. If only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can say, as the blessed souls say in Dante, here comes one who will augment our loves. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. To divide is not to take away. Do you believe that? Because it's really important that you do. It's really important that we do. Now, two points to this, and this is, was my idea when I thought about this sermon series, by the way. Thinking about this goodbye. How do we hold each other's face? Our presence, our attunement to one another. Pastor and people, people and pastor, friends. That, as I go, as I go we will hold this time, meaning you will hold it. I will hold it, and in holding it, we will divide. But that dividing is not taking away. It is a multiplication of the gospel. We, this is our vision, City Press. People come here, they're here for a time, and they leave. And it hurts every time it happens. And yet, the gospel is multiplied every time it happens. We send people out blessing them believing that that's the case. Dividing's not taking away. And this will make room for the next pastor. Now, at my party, Ryan Bobbin alluded to these things, so I asked him to send me what he wrote, all of it. And he captures it so beautifully, and I'm going to riff off this here. What makes the parting so difficult? And yet, as eternally beautiful as it will be, is the mutual... Now, he said this before. You know, we didn't talk. We didn't talk about this. But he encapsulated all the things that I thought I wanted to end this thing with you about. The mutual holding and carrying of our stories. Holding faces means holding stories. It means remembering words, experiences, being present enough to capture it in our embedded lives together. He says, you, Danette, and your kids will carry parts of each of us and our stories with you, multiplication. And each of us will carry with us parts of you and all your stories. 
The separation of these deep, beautiful, dark, and redeeming stories from our community can feel like parts of us are being ripped away, like Lewis describes the death of Williams. Because in some sense, I suppose they are. It is a frightening thing to see your story leave the comfort of the safe place where it was born, grow, and be brought out into the light for others to behold. And yet, it is a freeing thing. Remember what Paul says. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's a freeing thing if we let it to be. I recognize now more than in my earlier years that the sweetest and most profound relationships, when separated sooner than we might like, are often the catalyst for casting the beauty of those relationships and stories of Christ's redemptive work into new and far-off grounds to yield even more harvest in the kingdom of God. As we leave today, we will carry your stories. I will hold your faces. I will take them to God-forsaken North Carolina. I will take them to Redeemer, a new community with new stories. And in doing this, in Ryan's words, God will weave a more richer and vibrant tapestry God's redemptive story than any of us can imagine. We will move into this new chapter and new relationships, and so will you. Here's what Ryan says beautifully. I'm convinced that we will carry one another's stories with us in ways that can't help but inform our yet-to-be-written chapters. In your absence, City Press will find ourselves in moments that are intermingled with joy and sadness as we recognize when what a given situation calls for is to put on our Justin and Danette hats. In this way, the attributes that are most dear and redeeming about the Edgars will grow in our hearts and take even deeper root than if you were still there with us. And then he says, lest a seed die and be put in the ground, it will not reap a harvest. The beauty of this is that those things that are most precious and prized to us about you and your family, that we find ourselves most wanting to emulate, are in fact the things that Christ has wrought in you, and we recognize as having the aroma of our great King, Jesus. You will hold our faces, our stories, this chapter, 13 years of Memories, joys, pains. You will hold it. And I will hold it. And the glory of the Lord will shine in our holding. The second, the scriptures call us to remember. In fact, I would say preaching is remembering. The pastor's job is to remind. 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, to stir you up by way of reminder. We are, as pastors, remembrancers. We call the people to remember. Now, this comes from a, a, a Jeffrey Arthur's book. It matters that we preach. It, it matters that we call people to remember their God, their, their deepest values, their truest selves, and the story that has maybe shaped their lives and for sure has shaped their world. If we have no memory, we are adrift because memory is the mooring 
I went sailing in the Caribbean with a bunch of pastors, and there's these mooring balls in each of the bays. The hardest part of actually sailing in the Caribbean, truly, is getting attached to the mooring ball. It's like, I couldn't imagine if you, you, if you did that with just you and your spouse out sailing. Oh, my gosh. The fights. John Pickett was our captain, and man, the intensity of the attachment to the mooring ball. Memory is, don't, don't miss this. Memory is the mooring. And sometimes that's a painful, hard, arduous task to remember. Memory of the past interprets the present, charts the course for the future. Without memory, we are lost souls. If you're not attached to that mooring ball, and remember Christ is the ultimate mooring ball, but you're, our job is to remember him. Without it, we are lost. That's why the Bible is replete with stories and statements, sermons, ceremonies designed to stir memory, even nature. The rainbow after the flood serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness. In Deuteronomy, as Moses is staying back and sending the people into the promised land, he calls the people, take care lest you not forget. Remember the way uh, the Lord, your God, has led you. Jesus in John 14 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, Now I comment, uh, uh, I, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And then in 2 Thessalonians, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the tr- traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Remember, what will be the earworms of City Press's story, right? The earworm, the song that gets stuck. You can't stop singing it. You just keep singing it because it gets lodged. What will be our church's songs that will help you to remember? There's been so many things, y'all, through this time. Ways that God's worked amongst us. Um, It's been really significant. This year, um, the church will give nearly $500,000. This church will have given nearly $500,000. The, the first year, we made a budget after Mike left. Our budget was $107,000. It was barely enough to keep the lights on, pay me, Brian. $500,000. Now, money's not the only ways we obviously think about growth, nor should we. But I was amazed when I saw that number. There's so many other things that we've shared together, life that we've shared together, moments that we've shared together. 
stories of rescue and renewal that we've told one another. I wish I could recap them all. It's been beautiful to be a part of. And the earworm, hopefully, are the songs that we're singing today. These are the songs of us, God's people. They are our earworms to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past so he will be faithful in the future. Believe me, the future is scary for all of us every day. And yet the gospel calls us to remember God is present to us tomorrow, just like he was yesterday. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will be present with you, City Prez, in the next chapter. He will be present with you, children of mine. In the next chapter, we can trust him. We can trust him because he will hold us. The, the disciples regularly witnessed things stuck in their memory, the fuller meaning of which only came after Jesus' resurrection. You see, Christian faith is a historic faith, not only because our faith is anchored in God becoming human in history, but because that faith opens up the possibility of right now being more than it appears. It doesn't promise us to a key to unlock the exhaustive meaning of everything on our timetable, but it invites us to ponder the things that are happening, just as Mary did. The point is not to conquer life, the universe, and everything with the stories we build. The point is to pay attention to how our story slots. Growing up, my dad, he's a race, race guy, race car guy. One of the favorite things we did together when I was a kid was slot car racing. It's these tracks that you put a car on, it has magnets underneath, and you have this little, like, gun trigger, and it makes the cars go around the pack, and the, the, the more you pull that trigger, the more scary it is because that car might not hold the track. And if you're racing, like we used to race, compete, I couldn't do it. My dad would hold it every time. He had just the right pressure on that trigger. And I'd try to beat him, and I'd go flying off the track, right? It's true. The point is to pay attention how our story slots in the drama of God's mission to rescue image bearers from death and meaninglessness into life. Every part of you, every part of your story, all of your faces are meant to be part of that redemptive story that God is writing. You are slotted, hanging on, magnets and trigger, hoping upon hope. You'll finish this thing. Earn the crown, the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. God's the magnet. God's the trigger. He slotted you. You will finish, and we will feast together in the house of Zion. I want to end with this from Ryan. Radical trust in the eternal and unshakable hold of my father irrevocably secured by his risen and loving son, 
and actively kept by his powerful spirit. That's us on the track, zooming into tomorrow. Radical trust. Radical trust in the eternal and unshakable hold. You've heard me tell you this over and over again. He is the one who holds you irrevocably secured by his risen, loving son, actively kept, kept by his powerful spirit. Right? Goes back to the blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Because he's put his name upon you and the Edgars. And we will be blessed. Brian gave me this today. It's a rooster. Drip. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear it every Sunday. As long as I don't lose it. Because uh, it's right here over my heart. As I go to the next place, you will have my heart. I will hold it and I will hold you. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. These years have been, and especially the last six, God has allowed me to pastor you, and I am eternally grateful. I love you. Let's pray. God, you hold us. We're going to sing that. You hold us. You will not forget us. Your name has been placed upon us. We are yours, your children. And you will not let us go. So help us as we sing to rejoice over your holding of us. Irrevocably secure, kept, blessed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.